This is Old News, a podcast where we take the Old Testament and we apply it to youth ministry. Welcome. Open your Bibles. Hello, I'm here with Claire Chalmers, uh, someone who I've led youth group alongside and who uh, has been kind of responsible for a bunch of aspects of youth group that I've run in the past. Thanks for being here. No worries. Delighted Um, to be here. Do you want to just tell us a bit about your youth background? Yep, so I um, started leading youth group, I think, when I was about 17 with like sort of youngish youth group kids um, and then just kind of didn't stop for a while. Um, so about 10 or so years later, I had about six months off and now I'm back in. Um, yeah, I, so yeah, I was kind of a junior youth group leader and then started leading, um, as a slightly more senior one, um, towards the end of last year. What are we going to be doing today? Why, why have I asked you to come be here with me? Uh, because I have a whole lot of time off and you needed someone to talk to you about Nam, and I had no other excuse. Yeah, cool. So Claire's uh, just had an operation, so her arm is in a sling at the moment. So she's kind of sitting around doing nothing. So I thought it'd be great to uh, call on her experience and chat about this book. Um, What do you think is the value or what have you found to be the value as you've been thinking about uh, Nahum, which is what we're talking about today? Hmm. Um, It's it's a weird book to kind of read. Like it's all very poetry-ish, but by the time you kind of get through that and by the time you kind of read it say three or four times you get that it's just a story of god conquering an enemy of his people who have been oppressing him and um it's kind of one of the many stories of that in the bible um but it's just a really good one and it's a really powerful one and it's one where you see aspects of god's character that you don't necessarily see all the time um and that we don't often like to focus on like his wrath and his anger at sin and um the judgment that he's bringing so it's um yeah it's a book that i wouldn't normally go to for that sort of a application but it's a really interesting book to hear it from yeah cool so last year when we were we were doing a youth group around term three i kind of said that we were going to be doing uh, a, a term on some of the minor prophets uh when i kind of announced that in the youth meeting how did you feel about it i i rolled i think why <laughs> of all the books um who is this punk who wants us to go and look in the <laughs> the minor prophets are not even major ones who even cares um but it was very valuable uh, to do it. And I think it kind of, um, it got particularly, the, I think the kids kind of, they're always a little bit out of the com- their comfort zone because we try and do apl- a fair bit of application in the talks. But I think more than anything, it got the youth leaders out of our comfort zone um, in writing talks and in having to explain minor profits that we don't, didn't really get to youth kids who got it even less. Yeah, cool. I appreciated uh, you doing that work. And today we're, we're looking at the, book of Nahum and kind of thinking about how that is an important book for youth ministry and how it applies to youth. Um, how would you have felt if that was a book that you just kind of been dumped with, you were told you're going to do a talk on it? Um, I would have been pretty upset. Um, I think, I, yeah, I would have floundered for a fair bit, I think, um, and hoped that somebody who I knew had done a talk on it and knew what they were doing because I would have very little idea. Um, I think we're really good... Um, at looking at Bible narratives and at kind of stories from the Bible, so sort of Genesis, Exodus, like that sort of stuff, um, is a lot easier to preach on because there's a story and there's a um, you know your obvious characters and what they've learned, 
Um, but when it comes to minor prophets and where it's more poetic and where it's sort of, you're not really sure what they're talking about, it's a whole lot harder to kind of get applications from. So, um, yeah, it's a tricky book, but good. Yeah, cool. Well, I appreciate you spending a bit of time thinking about Nahum and then coming chatting to me about it. Um, so how about we have a think about uh, how this can be a helpful book for us. So in the book of Nahum, we, we come across a story or a, a prophecy that Nahum has received that is uh, prophesying the downfall of Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire, a nation that consistently oppresses uh, Israel, uh, takes them into exile, uh, and is a regime that is massive and kind of feels like it's never going to be gone. Uh, for the people of Israel, they feel like they're stuck uh, under the oppression of these people uh, and it must have just been really uh, stressful and, and hard as they just continually live out their lives under this oppression uh, constantly uh, wondering when the next uh, suffering would come uh, and so in, in chapter one we have Nahum begin to address this by essentially introducing the God who is going to uh, bring about that judgment and I really love uh, verses two to Eight. Uh, it's probably my favorite chunk of scripture, which is why I'm, I'm glad I've got Claire with me uh, today so that she can stop me from talking about this section for uh, hours on ends. Uh, but what, what I think we have here is we have what is essentially the same or, or similar to the announcement of a boxer before a fight. Uh, we have the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath on his enemies. You kind of feel the build before this this character uh, comes in. We're having God introduced in a powerful and kind of scary way. Uh, but what I what I really love about this section is it spends a bunch of time building up uh, this terrifying, uh, mighty image of God. And then when you suddenly hit verse seven, and verse seven says, "The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those uh, who trust in Him." Uh, we see the announcement of a, of a terrifying figure, but someone who, if you're on his side, if you're someone who has chosen to stand with him, uh, would, in, instead of being your destroyer, will be your protector, will be your refuge. Uh, but immediately contrasted in verse 8, but with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm uh, of darkness. And so we have the announcement of this great powerful uh, God who is coming to save his people, uh, immediately followed by uh, the announcement of what he's going to do. And the rest of chapter one talks about uh, the fate of those who stand against God and who oppress his people uh, and the fate of God's people themselves. Uh, and we see that those two fates are very, very different things. Uh, culminating with the end of chapter one, uh, which is where I would probably end the first talk if I was doing talks on these at youth group. Uh, with uh, a declaration for uh, those who really similar to psalm to, to some of the psalms of ascent uh, where they look there to the mountains the feet of one who brings good news who proclaims peace celebrate your festivals judah and fulfill your vows we see a call that in, to worship god in spite uh, of the suffering uh, that is going on a promise uh, of a god who is coming uh, who is coming to be a refuge for his people and destroy his enemies uh, and that he is worthy of that worship 
what, were, what was your kind of initial reaction to this section, Claire? Um, how did you think you would then take this passage uh, and apply it to, to youth kids? Uh, I think I had a similar sort of thing. Um, I think I was struck by uh, the picture of power we get of God, uh, particularly in verse 2 to uh, sort of 4 ish. Um, yeah, his ways the world into the storm, they're not exactly weak or. Um, yeah, they're just really powerful descriptors of, of a God who's, um, yeah, who's slow to anger, but he's about to come in judgment. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty it's pretty clear that we kind of see this God who is um, who is powerful and who is um, uh, yeah, who's who's ready to judge when it's required, um, and that's part of his love. Like he is good and he's a refuge in times of trouble, um, but he's also uh, ready to not ready to uh, leave sins unpunished. Um, yeah, he's going to take vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath on his enemies. It's not um, something to take lightly. So, um, yeah. yeah, we kind of, we kind of get this announcement of the end of evil. Like mm. we we see a, a a God who's not going to allow evil to reign in the world uh, for forever. Mm. Um, and we kind of I guess, I guess we're having it set up for us and and how we're going to see that how that's going to be mm. um, ex- kind of happen. I guess comes out in chapters two and three mm. um but I, I think ultimately in, in this first part i i can see the uh, i guess opportunity to to provide for our youth uh the the hope that will be continued and developed on uh, over the next couple of of weeks if you're doing a series on this uh that there is a hope for the end of evil and mm. and that ultimately we see how that evil uh has been destroyed when we when we look forward to the cross and we kind of have the benefit that we can look back mm. through the cross at this and and see the ultimate way that god was going to deal with this yeah yeah absolutely we see sort of the ultimate oppressor who's been messing with god's people for a really long time and who's been making their life absolutely miserable um yeah we just see this is finally he's he's come to the end and he's he's going to bring hope for them in the form of destruction of that oppressor and yeah and and just this vengeance that he's not um gonna let them oppress them anymore um so it's a huge picture of hope for them um and it's a picture of them kind of building up um which as as he said over a couple of weeks um of talks is building up to this um fall of this giant who's been messing with god's people um how do you think this could kind of what would be a good application to the lives of our youth kids uh, at the end of this first talk? Uh, I mean, there's a whole bunch. There's there's just generally, um, I think, there's generally just trusting in a God and fearing a God who is that powerful. Um, there's verse 7, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. Um, he cares for those who trust in him. There's a, a reminder to, to take refuge in him and that he will take care of you. Um, yeah, he, he, he does take care of his people. Um, there's a reminder that... Uh, in verse 15 at the end celebrate your festivals and fulfill your vows judah um a reminder to go and and worship god that was how they worship god and it's a reminder for our youth to worship god in their whole lives um it's a reminder for the leaders to do the same um it's a reminder for them to um fulfill your vows so um the things that you that that are involved in becoming a christian um and in sticking with god um but also a god who uh we need to submit to and worship regularly yeah i think i really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the power of god kind of in a, in a mm. similar way to proverbs in, mm. in the fear of him as he's yeah. he's a really big and, and scary thing worthy of our, our respect um but that as he 
stands against evil in the world, we can find our refuge in him. And I think um, what I appreciated um, earlier when we were talking about this, um, you, you kind of pointed out the opportunity for worship uh, being called for, even though Nineveh hasn't been destroyed yet, mm. uh, that we can turn to God and worship him during the reign of evil or during a time when uh, oppression is occurring because we know uh, what he's going to achieve for us. Mm. Well, I think um, because, because of those things, I think Nahum uh, 1 is probably a really powerful uh, passage that we can preach to our youth, uh, or at least it's a passage that I think is really awesome. Mm. Um, so in the past, I when I've spoken on this passage, I've broken up uh, the passage into t- or the book into two and, and preached it in two halves. Um, but in preparing for this and thinking about this, I've actually changed and I think now instead I would, I would do it in three talks. I'd, I'd talk about chapter two uh, separately to chapter three. And, and chapter two is all about the, the battle of Nineveh that comes. The God's judgment that's being poured out on Nineveh comes in the form of uh, the Babylonians uh, coming to destroy them. Uh, as God uses this kind of foreign nation to destroy another foreign nation as part of his judgment. And we get this really vivid imagery. We get these really difficult Uh, verses that may be awkward to talk about with our youth kids. Uh, We see human strength uh, contrasted against the strength of God that the soldiers of Nineveh never really seen uh, to stand a chance. In verse 5, Nineveh summons her picked troops, yet they stumble on their way. Uh, The river gates are thrown open, the palace collapses. It has been decreed that Nineveh will be exiled and carried away. It seems that God's decided that Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And so that's exactly what happens, that their strength, that the might of their army uh, is not able to stand against God. And we see this uh, horrific violence uh, carried out against them that is is difficult to read, I think. Mm. Um, And so it's important, I think, for us to remind ourselves at this point and to remind our youth of the violence of the ancient world, the way in which which things would carry out. Uh, that the stuff that they learn about uh, Rome or Greece at, at school is, is very similar uh, to this judgment that we're seeing poured out now. Um, I, I think I really appreciate the image of the lion uh, seeming strong, seeming like uh, it's secure, but then being uh, com- completely destroyed uh, by by God. Uh, kind of with, with verse 13 kind of summing up this, this whole... Uh, chapter with uh, I am against you declares the Lord Almighty uh, a, a, a statement that I think is quite chilling uh, as we we see him take everything from them down to the, f- the fact that they would disappear really from the world at all that they no longer uh, would exist but what I find really interesting about this passage is that uh, chapter 2 actually seems to be a, a passage about the restoration of God's people and I get that from verse 2 uh, the Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel. The destroyers have laid waste to them and have ruined their vines. Uh, this chapter two is about the restoration of, of God's people, of him restoring them to their place. But his means by which he's going to do that is through the destruction of his enemies. Um, yeah, something that I think we don't talk about uh, very often and kind of a really harsh, uh, jarring view of judgment, but something that I would say is important for us to talk about with our youth. Um, what, what were your kind of immediate responses to this section, Claire, especially when you thought about how you would talk uh, to a youth kid about it? Well, actually, like, I, I think I had a similar sort of response to you, that it's just it's such a, um, a violent picture of 
uh, of a, a superpower in the ancient world being destroyed and what they thought they could rest on their um, their powerful armies and their powerful chariots and whatever else they've got um, just dashed to pieces. Um, but then when you were just talking about um, that I'm against you declares the Lord Almighty, um, I think I, it kind of in very stark contrast to the end of Matthew when it says um, when Jesus is talking to his disciples as he's heading off to heaven um, and he says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, it's tw Matthew 28 verse 20. Um, it's just a very, like, I think we don't often talk about, we talk about that um, verse as a great comfort to Christians and a, a great, um, yeah, great security in knowing that Jesus is with us always to the end of the age. But compared to this, the, the, the con, the, what's the word? Consequence? Nope. The converse, the converse of that um, is that the, is it, here we see in verse 13 where God's judgment comes and he is against you. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a stark difference there. Um, and um, yeah, I think that's something that we, we need to bring it up with the kids. If they're not, if God's not with them, then he's against them. Um, and uh, I think that's actually something they need to hear because if they're not facing real judgment, it doesn't really inspire much um, of a response. If you don't, if you're not needing to be saved from something, what's the point in trusting it or looking into it? Yeah, and that's really, you're kind of really echoing the words of Jesus there when he says, if you're not with me, then, then mm. you're against me. We see uh, here what it really looks like to be against God. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it's really helpful what you're bringing about in, in Matthew is that we see, we can see uh, what it's like to be with Jesus, for him mm. to be uh, with us and for us to be on his side. And I guess the really jarring thing that happens here is we see how real uh, judgment is and we see what we've been saved from. Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. We see, and it's, it's not sort of this, um, I think often when we talk to kids about that, like death and judgment, it's for them, it's very theoretical. Like it's not, they can't see death around them, particularly in Sydney in, um, 2018, you don't see kind of people killed and chariots laid waste. But I think this really brings it home in that there is physical, there, there is a, a really raw and, um, butchery type uh, judgment that um, I think otherwise without this they miss out on so much um, in terms of what they've been saved from um, and I think it's really important to bring that to them because again they don't they don't see the consequence of their sin really unless their parents get angry at them um, but here it's 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 laid very very bare and very clear for them to see that there is a huge consequence to disobeying God and a huge consequence um, to living in sin and and glorifying sin in their lives yeah and i think um this gives me such an appreciation for what christ has saved us from mm. and i think it also gives me a, a really big appreciation for what christ bore for me on the cross mm. that when the judgment was poured down on him it was judgment that while looks different um was similar to this in strength or mm. in, in terror and that that was something that really should have been on me yeah yeah and i think without knowing that terror that was deserving for us without having that presented to the kids they don't they don't get it either like we don't get it until we see what could have happened and what could have been um, and what we've been saved from and so it's really important to remind them of it um and name's really really good at doing that yeah and so i think as i kind of finish this talk i would not seek to bring it back to the positive but bring it back to the fact that this is a passage about the restoration of God's people, that he's going to save them through 
judgment of his enemies, mm. um, but that there's very real consequences for that, that, res- mm. that restoration comes with the consequence of judgment uh, and that we can be really grateful to Christ and what he's achieved for us. So yeah, I think I, think I really like uh, chapter two as a whole. And I think there's kind of enough information in there, particularly with some of the points that you drew out mm. uh, of how we can, there's definitely enough in there for its own individual youth talk, would you say? Yeah, absolutely, definitely. Um, yeah, I think it, it draws on the, the urgency to tell other people about Jesus so that they, their friends can be saved from it. I think it draws on um, their urgency. Like, I think it, it draws on their need to um, uh, t- to turn to God because it, it reminds them once again, again and again and again, um, all the horrible stuff that they've been saved from from Jesus. So it, it, it's, it's a, a passage that um, commands urgency from youth, and I don't think that... I think that's really important that we do that. Yeah, cool. And so this kind of builds us up to uh, what would be, I guess, the big finale in week three. Okay, so while um, chapter three, uh, as we kind of would look to round off the youth talks, uh, looks like it's still very much talking about Nineveh. I think a lot of the imagery brings it uh, to a lot more of Assyria as a whole and, and thinking about that empire as a whole. We see that ultimately the attack on Nineveh results in the destruction of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, we see the enemies of God are laid waste to. They're shown for what they really are. They're shown to be weak. Um, and we have some really kind of vivid, difficult, aggressive imagery here. Um, that obviously requires a bit of wisdom from the person doing the talk as to what's read uh, and to uh, potentially what what translation you might use. Uh, But it's some really important uh, stuff that we see. Uh, For example, in verse 7, we see that no one seems to really care a whole bunch about their demise. Um, There's no one to comfort them. There's no one to, to protect them and care for them. There is a great evil empire. While they may have had glory in a sense um, we see that that glory has not turned into uh, loyalty from people um, and in the end the destruction's easy in, in the end uh, it doesn't seem like Nineveh uh, put up much of a fight that the Assyrian Empire stands much of a chance uh, the Lord just seems to have ordained that it's going to happen and so it just happens uh, the defenses of Nineveh fail uh, we see the repeat of uh, I am against you from the Lord uh, as yeah, I guess Nineveh is really just mocked and ashamed as it's as it's destroyed and, and the empire as a whole. But then there's this really interesting section at the end and uh, a section that's always kind of fascinated me uh, of verses 18 and 19 as we see the final curse of the king of Assyria. Uh, we see that it, while he was once strong with allies, uh, they haven't come to his aid. In fact, uh, those who really should have come and, and helped him seem to have been as, asleep or, or aren't, aren't interested. Uh, that his people have been scattered and his glory is gone, his empire is gone. And that now he's coming to the end or to his demise, that he's dying literally or maybe just as imagery. Uh, and that there seems to be a joy from others uh, in the demise of his glory, that in the demise of his evil... Uh, people seem to be joyful. All who hear the news about you clap their hands at your fall. 
And then we it, it ends with this rhetorical question that for me just leaves the the entire book ringing in my head. Uh, the results of his oppression of, of the people of God, of challenging Yahweh, has ultimately led to destruction, that his strength is gone. Uh, for who has not felt your endless cruelty? The last kind of ultimate curse uh, ringing out for, I guess, into the darkness as the, as the book ends and, and seems to end on a bit of a down note, um, but I think is, is a moment of glory as this king who sees himself as strong, sees himself as ruling over the world in glory, uh, has now been destroyed by Yahweh uh, and that he has shown them where true glory lies, where true power is. Uh, and I think is a really great, um, I think the, the being able to focus on this king, this, this ruler, uh, really gives this third talk some bite, uh, ultimately that he who is strong, uh, that we see all these different rulers in the world today, I, I guess, mm. the, those who we give glory to, uh, and, uh, and would be really good examples. I mean, in the, today's world, 2018, we're really blessed with a whole bunch of uh, different leaders that we can point to who may be causing uh, different uh, issues, not to get uh, political. Um, <laughs> but that ultimately, they're, they're not the ones where true strength lies. Um, how did you kind of respond to chapter three when you were reading through it, Claire? How did you think you'd be able to bring it home? Um, I think I think what you just said about true, where, where does the true strength lie? Because the king of Assyria very, had strength. He was strong. He, he did have all of the strength in that world, um, but it can be just taken away. Um, and I think that's the, the timelessness of God's power and his, um, his rulership over all time and all uh, civilizations and everything um, is really laid bare here. Um, he's, 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 in charge of, of, of everything and um yeah i think it's it's really really clear then when um yeah when when you, we've kind of seen how um in the whole of name that the the king of assyria has been oppressing this nation and um now he's laid bare with nothing and is essentially naked to the world his wound is fatal he's about to his, his rule is about to end um and i think it's it's a good reminder that um, with that God makes nations fall and He na- makes them rise, but um, ultimately He is still in charge of it all. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think one of the things I really um, well, I guess almost in, enjoy is the way in which Assyria is just completely humiliated. Absolutely. Like this strength that has seemed to have glory in the world and seem to have conquered God's people is really just destroyed without a moment's thought uh, that God decides that it's going to happen and it just kind of happens and that the strength that they thought they had, they've just kind of been completely destroyed, almost taunted by this victory of God that's happened. Mm. And I guess when I, when I was reading through it the other, the other day, I just couldn't help but think of the humiliation that death has gone through at the hands of the resurrection. Absolutely, yeah. We see. I mean, we see here that um, I actually I really enjoy the the imagery in verse five, where it says, "I'm against you," declares the Lord. I will lift your skirts over your face. I'll show the na- nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. Like it's really putting 
putting Nineveh and Assyria to shame. And I think it's the same with with um, the way that Jesus just destroys death and, um, yeah, brings to shame. Like now Christians, when one of their friend, one of their Christian brothers or sisters dies, it's not, it's sad because we miss them, but it's not that um, devastation of losing somebody forever. But it's, it's a, a, an acknowledgement that we will see them again because death has lost its sting. It's not... Um, it doesn't have that power or that um, yeah anything over us anymore. We we are saved and we are um, we can trust in that and we have death bears no shame and it has no power over us. Yeah, and I really um, like you. You jumping onto one Corinthians fifteen uh, fifty five, where a death is your victory, where a death is your sting. As Paul kind of echoes uh, Hosea uh, thirteen fourteen, where a death are your plagues, where a grave is your destruction, uh, the destruction of, of Nineveh uh, at the hands of God uh, humiliates uh, evil and, and the resurrection of Christ humiliates death in a really uh, wonderful way and something that we can be really excited about now that death and evil in the world loses its power at the hands of God. And I think that's a really cool uh, place to, to kind of come to the end of a series uh, back at the how we've we've seen the announcement of God, his arrival and the ultimate destruction and humiliation of evil at the hands of his glory and his power. Uh, And it's a really great image uh, that I think is really applicable for us as Christians when we think about Christ and and the work that he's done for us. And uh, I think Nahum's a book that we can really uh, bring forward. Um, Yeah, so as we were preparing for this, I I thought, um, I guess we thought, that there are a bunch of overall, potentially kind of specific directions you could take these talks in and specific application points uh, that kind of apply to the book as a whole and in general, and you can take and choose and put in different places. Uh, so we thought we'd have a brief discussion about those now. What were some of the things, Claire, for you, specifically um, you're kind of better positioned than me to think about youth girls and the, the experience of girls and how, how does the book of Nahum speak into their lives? I think initially it's kind of hard to see it because in general girls aren't really the, not always, sometimes girls can be the sword fighting type, Um, but in general I think you have to kind of take it out of that, um, bring it down to the point where uh, you see Nahum as a story of God's judgment over an oppressive power and when you take it to there you can say that girls in a modern present day um, Teenage girls are are very much oppressed by powers of of social standing. Um, so it's it's you know they they want to be seen um, in a certain way. They live for popularity. Uh, they are enslaved and um, very much overrun by uh, the way that they look and the way that they're presented to people. Um, they are enslaved to that, and they. Um, that has complete power over them. Uh, the way that they look, the way that they wear their makeup in a particular way, if they're, you know, seen by boys in a particular way, but, but not in another way. Um, you know, there's, there's countless ways that, um, that this world and, this, and, and the social world and social media and all that sort of stuff have power over girls. Um, and it's the same as the Assyrians over, uh, over Israel. Um, we see they're set the same... Um, destruction and the same pain and the same suffering um, but it's just through phones and through friends um, I think it's uh, you know 
they're told so many expectations. They're told how they should be living their life. They're, they're told what they should be worshipping. They're told they're meant to be strong and brave and vulnerable, but also kind and boss-like. And that's even before just general social stuff comes in, like feminism. And they have to have an opinion and they have to be this and they have to be that. And, and it's a lot to deal with. <laughs> Um, and it's a lot that it brings a lot of suffering and I don't necessarily see that that's a huge jump to make. So when you're, um, yeah, when you're jumping in, uh, to whether it's talking about talking and speaking about this in a youth group talk or whether you're talking about it in a Bible study afterwards, it's really important that you make that leap, um, particularly for girls, but I think it's just as applicable for boys, um, in that we're all slaves to the modern superpower that is our culture. Um, and uh, I think it's really important to bring that up because, um, yeah, things like the phones and various TV shows, so 13 Reasons Why, things like that, they weren't made because it, this is um, something, a, a work of fiction. Like it's, yeah, it, it, it's something they have to deal with on a daily basis um, and it's something that we need to address um, and show um like in nahum where god has complete power over this nation um god has complete power over our culture and over the world and um yeah so i think this part of nahum shows um that yeah that this evil and this these powers won't reign over um the world or the youth group girls um, who you're dealing with or the youth group boys that you're dealing with um but he is going to deal with this evil and it is going to be um destructively and uh, it, it gives a huge amount of hope for them, um, which is something really important to dwell on when you're uh, going through Nahum, um, particularly this chapter. Yeah, it kind of gives us this opportunity to cling to the future, right? Yeah. Uh, we know um, that things are difficult now. These oppressive powers are pushing down on us, but we need a hope that transcends our current reality to push on. And I think um, that's, where, that's where Nahum 1 is so good in that it gives us that hope of, of a future restoration and a call to worship and hold to God, mm -hmm. uh, find a refuge in him in those times. And I, I think you're right. I think for us, the Assyria of today is, is very much um, uh, different cultural things mm -hmm. that are on us or different um, things that we experience in our lives rather than uh, literal slavery or, or um, armies attacking us. And it led me to think about um, the, the issues that that kind of is traditionally been a guy issue, but is becoming more and more a girl issue of, of the different um, youth kids who have approached me and talked to me about uh, their struggles with pornography. Mm. Uh, that pornography now is this huge thing in the world, um, that it's, it's an empire, essentially. It's a billion-dollar industry, and it is an industry that oppresses people, that it oppresses either those who are working for them, but for our youth, uh, it, it oppresses them through addiction as they become enslaved to the feeling of essentially whether they're constantly pursuing the next high and the next joy. Um, I, I think Nahum provides me with another place I can go to, to think about how God's going to deal with that. That God mm. is ultimately, that he's given you hope in Christ and he is who you can hold to, that you can find your refuge in. Uh, but ultimately one day that evil will be destroyed completely. Absolutely. Uh, God it's, promises that. Yeah. It's, a, it's just such a picture of hope that, um, you know, a God who loves us uh, wouldn't leave those th those those th those evils unpunished and undealt with. And um, yeah, we can see this spectacular uh, vision of of, of God um, dealing with it and removing it all from our lives and bringing dignity back. Um, 
Yeah, and I, I think um, an- another thing that is kind of similar in that sense, and, and I see when I do uh, a bit of work in, in school chaplaincy uh, and, and also in, in a mission trip uh, that I recently did, is seeing the, the, the oppression that the desire to fit in brings on, on kids and, and the desire to not just be popular or even not to be popular anymore, just to feel like when they get up in the morning and they go to school, they have people to hang out with and people to talk to mm. and, and they feel this desire to be loved and wanted and, and that desire itself oppresses them too, that there's this evil desire for something other than God to fulfill them uh, that really comes through this abstract concept of popularity that seems to oppress both guys and girls now. Absolutely. And I think with the whole social media thing that everyone's um, trying to fight against at the moment, that's not just when they go to school now. It's 24-7 whenever they look at their phones. Um, it's the Instagram likes, it's the Facebook whatevers, it's the Snapchats, it's the everything that invades their mind um, constantly. And they are very much held captive by it um, and very much oppressed by it. There's the They're, they're constantly connected to their phones and um, connected to this desire and this need um, to be accepted um, and to be um, validated and uh, and judged to be somebody who's socially good or whatever it is. Um, and uh, I think, again, Nahum breaks that um, and, and gives them hope that they don't ever have to be enslaved to that again, um, but that God's going to end that uh, so that we live for him and not for things that pass away. Yeah, it's what a, what a wonderful piece of scripture that God's given us uh, that we can put in the hands of our leaders, put in the hands of our youth kids to give them a way of, of dealing with these things and, and that coming to the text of Nahum will ultimately give them hope and joy and uh, point them towards a God who saves them and, and helps them understand more uh, the work of Christ in, in what he has achieved for us. Claire, I really appreciate you hanging out with me uh, this morning and, and giving me your, your wisdom. Uh, I always enjoy uh, your thoughts prodding me in the right direction and also questioning uh, various things that I come up with. Uh, how about how about you bring Nahum home for us? Uh, I think picture, no, Nahum is a picture of hope uh, for them and for us. Um, it's a picture that there's a power over us that will break, or that God will break it. Um, it will end in destruction for the expectations that are enslaving them to this world um, and a joy and dignity for those who trust in God. And I think that's why it's so valuable for us to be able to speak on it to our youth kids Um, and learn from it ourselves. This has been a presentation from Old News Bible. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do that at oldnewsbible at gmail.com. All quotes from the Bible were taken from the New International Version 2011 and the music is Amber by Drake Stafford.